Like I literally felt it in my stomach and it ricocheted into like my chest. He hit me that hard. And I remember turning around and actually like dropping down because I was in so much pain. And then I burst into tears. <laughs> and I was so fucking ashamed of myself for so long. I didn't even, I went to my friend's house and I don't even think I told her straight away because I was so fucking humiliated and I was so ashamed of myself because I'm like, I invited this guy into my home and now I feel violated, but it's my fault because I invited him into my home. It's not my fault. If someone has said I'm not interested or I'm not ready or I'm not willing to go to these extents, the answer is fucking no. Hey guys, welcome back to All Things Taboo with Karen Taylor. Thanks so much for tuning in and thanks so much to everybody who listened to the last podcast and who sent me messages about your own stories and I'm really thankful that you felt that you could reach out to me and um, I can't wait uh, to share some of those stories on uh, future podcasts. If you have a taboo subject that you would love to hear about, please hit me up on Instagram at Miss Karen Taylor. I'd love to hear from you. This is probably take 300 and 95 <laughs> of this episode because I found this probably the hardest and most difficult one to talk about um, just to put it into relative terms and it's yeah been a, a difficult it's been a, it's been difficult to talk about this one because uh, there's so much that's happened in my time in Australia and I wanted to be able to share that really openly. I moved here in the October of 2011 and I lived with my friend that I talked about in the last episode and I was really taken in by her and her family, um, her mum in particular really supported me when I first moved over here and I got a job and started working at a bistro in the first six months. And the plan was that I was only going to be here for six months um, to maybe a year on a working holiday visa. And I ended up staying here. I've been here nearly nine years now. Um, when I moved here and um, obviously wanting to get away from the UK and, and um, the addictions that I had developed... I didn't really plan on falling back into those cycles again, but what happened was I was working at a bistro and I sort of just fell back into going out partying. Um, I made friends and uh, we would just, we would work uh, till late close and then just go out to the clubs. And I found myself just back in like a, a bit of a negative cycle of just like drinking nearly every second night and um, yeah, started to find where I could get drugs and finding myself back in the same habits that I was when I was in the UK. And I kept just sort of saying to myself, I just think there's more to life than this. And I wanted to have a better life. And after about six months, I was working at the bistro and um, I, I served a table there. And the guys that I was serving, it was uh, three couples. And I served their table and we had like a bit of a laugh because they couldn't figure out what dessert to have. And it was, it was really funny. Like I was just trying to like, you know, sell these desserts. And the guy, one of the guys said to me, you know, if you're th that good at selling desserts, how do you reckon you'd go selling houses? And I was like, oh, I have no idea. Like I've never really thought about that before. But then in the, you know, in the end, I ended up giving him my number and I ended up getting a job 
um, at a new home builder. And so I, I started working at the new home builder, started getting a better income. And there was a meeting that I went to where there was a personal trainer and I got his number and I contacted him and I started personal training with him. He was a really, like, really lovely person, really great guy. And he would often invite me to go to a Friday night group that he held at his home. And for a long time, I was like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want to go. Like, that just sounds completely out of my comfort zone, like going to a dinner with people that I don't know. And so I just kept sort of pushing it off. And eventually um, I, I met his wife and his wife asked if I would like to go to this Friday night group. So I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, yeah, I'll come. And I ended up going to this, um, to this group and it was a Bible study group. And um, it was the first time that I'd learned about Jesus and I'd never known anything about God or Jesus before. Um, I'd been to like Sunday school a couple of times when I was a kid, but it was never, I never really understood what any of that was about. So I went along um, and I started to want to know more about Christianity. And so I um, started going to the Friday night groups more and more and moved more away from um, drinking as much. And I started to change some of those um, habits. And instead of going out partying on a Friday night, I would go to this group. Um, and so I developed a genuine love for Jesus. And I found myself falling more and more in love with Jesus, which if you haven't gone through that, you really wouldn't know what that experience is like. But for me, it was very real. It was very genuine. And it's like any relationship when you, you fall in love with somebody and the maintenance of the relationship, once that initial phase of euphoric love fades away, um, you have to obviously maintain and work on the relationship. In that time, I, I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, and I met a guy at one of the Friday night groups. And he'd come along, he was visiting from Tasmania. And I remember walking into the room that night, I was getting baptized the next week, and I walked into the room and he was there. And I was like, whoa, this guy is so, he's so beautiful looking. Um, and anyway, I was so excited. And I was almost euphoric because I was getting baptized the next week and I was getting baptized in the ocean, uh, which for anyone who knows, the ocean is like my place. It's the place where I find serenity. It's the place where I find the magnificence of creation in the ocean. And um, um, yeah, I was so excited and I was like, hey, like, great to meet you. Like, I'm getting baptized next week. Like, you should totally come and invited him along. And so, yeah, the next weekend, all my friends and what I would call my family. So my friend and her family, like everyone came and I got baptized that day in the ocean and it was beautiful. Like I had a beautiful day. It was an amazing experience. And uh, he was there and he sent me a message afterwards and just said, congratulations for today. It was a huge stand and you should be really proud of yourself, you know. And then we started talking after that and spending a bit more time together. And we fell in love and we weren't dating as such to start with. We were just spending time together, and but we were spending a lot of time together and the time came to define the relationship. And so he wanted to take a bit more time to decide whether he actually wanted me to be his girlfriend. Um, and he was very particular about that because for him, 
uh, if he was going to date somebody, it was to be very intentional and with the idea of getting married in the future. So um, I was very insecure at that time. I, as much as I was in this joyful experience of, you know, having a church community and, and um, you know, getting to know God, and I felt like I felt very insecure within myself. And even though I was going to the gym and I'd made these life changes, I actually was struggling really badly with um, bulimia nervosa. So I had developed an eating disorder um, around food and around my body image. I always had body image issues from when I was 12 years old. My stepmom had said to me by the pool one day, you and your sister better watch what you're eating because you're starting to get fat tummies. And I was 12 years old and I still remember that comment um, and it plagued me for the better part of 18 years after that. So when I met who was to then be my husband, um, I was 23. And so, yeah, I've been living with body image issues for a long time. But then when I started to diet um, and go to the gym, I it imploded a little bit um, within myself of like, you know, feeling bad if I ate bad food or thinking that there was like good and bad and there was no in between. And so I was, um, I started to develop a really bad binge and purge cycle, which binge is when you just eat so much food that you nearly it's almost it's almost uncontrollable eating you're just eating food you're not even tasting food you know it was it was just this fantasize about all this food and eventually you would go and get it and um just eat all this crap and then you would make yourself sick and I will talk about that in another episode about disordered eating um, and disordered body image but I was in this really bad cycle of being so insecure about my appearance my weight um, and I guess in who I was as well, just I didn't really know myself as well as what I do now. So he, we were spending a lot of time together and I was so overwhelmed at the fact that somebody so good looking and who seemed to have their life in such order was even interested in me. Uh, and I was very broken. Like you've heard my first two podcasts uh, talking about, you know, my upbringing and my life. And I was very broken inside. And so I, I was um, I was quite uh, codependent. So his love for me meant more than our compatibility. And I, um, we had a lot of things that we were compatible on, but his love for me meant more about my worth than what I felt about myself. Um, and so he asked if he could have some time to think about the relationship. And in that two weeks, I just remember being an absolute mess because I was like, oh my gosh, like he doesn't know if he wants to be with me. And, you know, if he doesn't want to be with me, then like that says something about who I am and that I'm not good enough. And after the two weeks, he came back and he had said that he wanted to date me. And I remember just feeling like on top of the world. And again, as shallow as it might sound, it was really, I felt like someone loved me and that meant that I was worth something. And and it wasn't that I didn't love him. I was very much in love with him, but I overlooked a lot of things that I probably shouldn't have at that time. And we dated for a year and a half before we got engaged and we married six months later. Um, and being that we were in the church and it was tr quite traditional relationship, we didn't sleep together until our wedding night. So it was very different for me to be in that kind of relationship and to abstain from um, 
having sex. And so we spent a lot of time together just getting to know each other, which was really amazing. But I was always, I always felt like the black sheep. And leading up to our wedding, I had a lot of backlash from his parents who weren't sure that I was going to be good for him because I was covered in tattoos and I'd had sexual relationships before and I had quite an interesting past. And so um, there was a lot of stress uh, that was placed on our engagement when we were deciding to get married because everyone was saying that Um, he needed to think more about his decision and that I was being selfish for not letting him be with somebody who wasn't as, I guess, promiscuous as what I had been. It was, I think a lot of that was, we were sure, but we were also trying to prove a point that our love was going to be what conquered everything. And so we pushed through and we got married and my wedding day was one of the most beautiful. It was one of the most beautiful days of my life. Like it was amazing. And I never, I had never thought even, I know a lot of girls who, you know, when they're younger, they imagine getting married. And I had never imagined getting married because all I saw throughout my whole life was people getting married and the relationships and the relationships not working out. And the only marriage that I had seen work out was my grandparents suddenly now I was getting married and I was like, I have a chance to break the cycle of um, divorce in my family. And I just thought that our love would be what got us over every hurdle. And I never thought that we would ever have issues to deal with throughout our time being married. For the first two years, it was really amazing. We had no no real issues. Um, But I remember thinking, now I'm married you know, what's the next step? You know, it's almost like the packing order of um, getting married. You get married and then you have kids. And all my friends were having kids. And I was like, you know, I want to have a baby. And uh, my, my husband didn't want to have kids straight away. He wanted to wait for two years before we decided to have kids. And so in that time, I was really struggling with that. I think just missing a purpose and needing some kind of purpose in my life, which I really do recognize now how much that's what I was looking for. Um, Again, I just didn't know myself and I wasn't comfortable within myself enough. So I was always looking for something external to fill a hole within me. And I was like, I want to have a baby. I want to have a baby. And he was like, no, I wouldn't even engage in the conversation. Uh, In that time, in the two years that we were sort of waiting, um, I started weightlifting um, quite seriously. And I found a gym where there were a lot of competitive females doing weightlifting, doing strong women and doing powerlifting. And so I I got involved in that and I signed up for my first competition, um, which qualified me for the Arnold Strongwoman Championships. Um, And I did my first Arnold competition um, where I placed nine out of 11 girls. And I was hungry after that. I loved it so much. And I just absolutely poured myself into lifting. I competed in any comp that was coming up and I did really well at it. And then I went back the next year 
competed again. In that time, I had come second in the Victoria's Strongest Woman competition. Um, and I'd also broken a couple of records, which was for the deadlift and for the stone. Then, yeah, so I went back the next year, competed at the Arnold's again, and I placed second out of 20 girls, I think, or it might have been about 19 girls, I came second. And the girl that won was from Hong Kong. And so the title goes the next person, which was myself. So I had the Australia's Strongest Woman title for, um, for that year. Um, I then went back and competed again at Victoria's Strongest Woman and I came second and I did the log and deadlift competition, which I um, came first at. Uh, and then I, I just did, every, I did so many comps in that time. I think for a few years, I did about six comps a year and it just consumed me. Like I absolutely loved it so much. And in that time, so in that sort of first two years of me competing, that was when my husband said, you know, well, I'm ready to have a baby now. And I was like, oh, just what, you know, one more comp, one more comp, one more comp. And I was like, I'd found the thing that I, I found the, a thing that filled that void for me instead of having a child. And I didn't want to give it up. The way that I looked was changing. The way that I felt about myself was changing. And I felt myself really desiring a lot of the old person that I was and missing parts of the old person that I was. Um, because as a Christian, I, I stopped doing a lot of things because it was sinful. Um, so I, and I, I really felt this tug between the two, the, the two sides of my brain, I suppose, in that I was really wanting to know myself better, but also wanting to be a good Christian. And so I was really tugging between these two things all the time. And then also wanting to be a good wife and give my husband the things that he was looking for, which was to settle down and have a family and, you know, move into a house in the country. And it was just so much confliction. There was so much confliction in my mind. I felt like he didn't support me in my lifting, which kind of pushed us away from each other quite a lot. And again, I never thought that that was ever going to happen happen because I just thought that our love would just conquer everything. I never thought that there would be a time where he, where I felt unsupported by him. And I know that he was doing that because he wanted to protect me in some way. Um, and he was trying to hold on to me because he felt like he was going to lose me. And so I had, the more he held on, the more I held on to the lifting. Anyway, I went to defend my title for Australia's Strongest Woman the following year. Um, and I went to defend my title and we had such a big fight the night before. Um, and then on the way to the center as well, that I was completely out of it by the time I got there. Um, I didn't know what was happening. And I remember by the third event, my coach turned around to me and said like, what is going on with you? Like you are so off today. And I managed to like pull myself back and I went into the last event in second place, but I fucked it up and then I placed fourth and I beat myself up like you couldn't believe. I was so angry. I played those events over and over and over in my head. And I think from that moment, I had this resentment towards my husband. And the reason we'd fought was because that weekend was our, our wedding anniversary. And because I was invested in the competition and that's where all of my thought was going. He was upset with me. And I I knew that I just needed to be focused on the competition. And once the competition, it was always once the competition was done, like life could go, go back to some kind of normality. And I think for him, he felt like once the competition was done, there would be another competition. And it never really went back to 
us. And it was really sad because he wanted to push in the direction of ministry and being more involved in ministry. And I wanted to push more into business and uh, into becoming an entrepreneur. So we were in just two very different places in two very different lanes. I was going one way and he was going another. And I ended up overseas to compete in South Africa. Um, I We had a week before the competition. And um, again, we just ended up fighting a lot because my husband wanted to go and see things in Johannesburg. I was water cutting, which for anyone who's ever water cut before, um, it's a horrendous process. Like you feel absolutely drained. Like I've never felt so drained uh, other than when I've done water cuts before. And what a water cut is, is that you, I mean, if you're ever going to do this, please consult a professional, but you you drink copious liters of water every day leading up to your weigh-in. Um, and then the last day um, before your weigh-in, you stop drinking any fluids and you most of the time have to stop eating at about lunchtime. So I normally would lose about two to three kilos in a water cut and I got to my last day and I was, I think I weighed 60, 65 and a half or 66 kilos before I went to bed. And normally I would wake up and have lost like a kilo and a half to two kilos. Well, I woke up the same weight. So I had to go to a sauna and I felt like I was going to die. I felt like this was it. Like I, I remember the thought crossing my mind in that sauna that day that I was going to kill myself for my sport. And it was an awful feeling. I felt by the time I weighed in, I was so depleted. And from that day, I vowed to myself that I would never water cut again. And I also decided that after that competition that I would never diet again. I would never be on a diet again because I had nearly killed myself from being so obsessed with making a weight class. Um, but that was that was what I was going through. And then obviously my, my husband wasn't going through that whole emotional stress of going through having to make the weigh-in. Um, and he just wanted to go and do the sightseeing because we were on holiday. Um, so we were fighting a lot like in that time as well. And even getting to that competition, uh, I was just, I just had built up so much resentment towards him. And um, after that competition, we went on holiday. We had three weeks in South Africa. Um, I turned 30 over there, um, which was also quite difficult because I tried to combine the two sides of my family to have a birthday party for my 30th. I had to end up having two birthday parties so I could have one with my mum's side and one with my dad's side. Um, and never did I once feel like I could put my foot down and be like, if you want to come, come. If you don't, don't. But I, I just was always um, like accommodating everybody else to make everybody else feel better instead of what was good for me or what I needed. So turning 30, a lot of people say that you go through like a 30 life crisis. And I'd always heard it and thought, yeah, like no one can really put an age on when you have a crisis, you know. Um, but I did. I went through a 30 life crisis and I got to a point after that birthday where I was like, fuck this fuck everybody else. I'm fucking tired of this bullshit. I'm tired of fucking making everything work around everybody else. I had said that, you know, after that South African competition that, yeah, okay, after the competition, we could then start trying for a baby. And when I told my husband that I wasn't ready to have a kid, um, he was like, but you said that we could after the comp. And I was like, yeah, but 
it's my body. And if I don't want to have a kid, I don't want to have a kid. Like promise or no promise, you know, I can't just, I'm not just going to have a kid just because we said we were going to. So I, yeah, I went through this like real change in like, what the fuck? Like how many years am I going to spend just appeasing everybody else and saying yes to everybody else and being this yes man for everyone instead of saying no, like it's my fucking birthday. It's my fucking birthday party. And if you want to be there, then you come to where I'm going to be. Why am I fucking splitting myself in half to try and please everybody else? And I just had this like real overwhelming sense of like, what the fuck? I have spent most of my life doing everything for everybody else and never saying what I need and what's important to me. And this whole shift and change in myself happened um, over the next month or so. I was really pulling away from a lot of the um, the comforts that I had developed. And um, in that time, and, and I'm going to talk about this, and you can judge me. One thing that I have realized is that you cannot ever say that it won't happen to you. I never thought that in any way I would emotionally cheat in in my marriage. I never thought that I would even look at another person. I remember when I met my husband that I even I would never even look at another man. Like I there was no other man for me. He was the be all and end all everything. And it wasn't the physical attraction to anybody else. It was that I was lacking there was something lacking still within me and there was something lacking that I wasn't getting from my marriage and that was the support. And obviously I'd built quite a name for myself in the strongman community and I started talking to a guy who just affirmed me in everything that I was doing and whether he was doing it because he knew that's what I needed to hear or that I, that's what I wanted to hear, he would just tell me about how like strong I was and how awesome I was and how like, you know, you could really see my dedication and we would talk and we just started talking and he wasn't in the same state as me. Um, but we were talking over social media and, um, and I was talking to him and I was building up this emotional connection with this person. I had this fantasy of being with this person who supported me, who did the same thing as me, who um, would understand what it was like um, to be a competitor. And I developed this intense emotional connection to this person. And eventually my husband found out about it. Um, I had spoken to him about it. I'd probably downplayed it somewhat, but it was more than what I had said that it was emotionally. Like I I didn't love this person. Like I just wanted the fantasy that, you know, that, that, that whole idealization of that perfect relationship just consumed my mind for so long um, that when it did come out, it was almost like I'd, I was too far gone. I was too far into it to be able to even step back and, reconcile anything that was sort of left in my marriage. And I'm not proud of that at all, but I, it happened. And did I ever think it was going to? No. So it was 2018 in August that this happened. Um, and by the January, my husband and I had separated and, and then I, we went backwards and forwards trying to uh, repair the relationship. We got into counseling. Um, and I will say, um, in my, in my defense, um, when things started to go south in my marriage, I had asked to go to counseling and 
he is an amazing person. He's a wonderful man. He's loving. He's caring. For what I needed, I felt like I was not getting. And I, w- I felt like I was in a cage. And I'm a very, like I said in my first podcast, a wild-spirited person. And I felt as though I was really, really oppressed. And it's not his fault. Like, it's not his fault that that's how I was feeling. But that is how I was feeling because of the kind of person that I am and because of what I've gone through and I had said you know I think we're just not communicating well I think that what I'm when I'm saying something to you I don't know that you're hearing it the way that I want you to hear it and and you know there's just I feel like there's a lot of misunderstanding between us and so I had sort of tried on and off for three years to try and get us into counseling um but he didn't want to go and Eventually, when things had got to this point, then he said, you know, yep, we'll we'll do it. Let's go to counselling. So for about six months, backwards and forwards, we went to counselling and we tried. And and people might say that I didn't try hard enough. Um, I had checked out a long time before that um, emotionally and going into that, I, I, I felt like all I was really losing was the comfort of having someone and I didn't want to put him through that um, any longer. And and I genuinely believe that um, for two people that it it gets to a point where you can, you realise that you are in a, a toxic situation and eventually one person has to make the call because you can have as much love and as much respect for each other uh, as you want but if it's just going to be a roller coaster ride all the time and and you, the way that you are is affecting the other person and the way that they are is affecting you and and the and unless someone gets the fuck off that roller coaster you're just going to keep hurting each other and it was awful to to watch somebody that I actually loved and cared about so much that I'd been married to for five years to watch that person hurting so much you just you can't continually put yourself through that while I was hurting him it was also hurting me and I just got to a point where I was like someone has to make the call and so eventually we made the call that we were gonna properly separate and he tried everything I'd never I would never say that my ex didn't try everything to try and win me back but the damage was done there was so much damage there and as I say it was hurting both of us and I I wasn't prepared to make the changes that he wanted me to make to reconcile the marriage and there was a lot of things that he wanted me to do um I will not do and I just felt again like I was just really like those things for me made me feel so oppressed because I was like I don't want to give up those parts of myself again because what I did was I just monkey branched from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. So towards the end of last year, um, I decided to go on Tinder and I'm going to do a podcast on this because I would love to fucking hear from you guys about stories that you have experienced on Tinder because I'm going to say it right now. There are people on there that are entitled as fuck. And I think that if you're talking to somebody on Tinder, just because you've shared a few messages does not mean that you have access to somebody's life. It does not mean that you know them. And it does not mean that they owe you anything. Like guys who would get really possessive within a few messages, guys who would have a go at me for not replying. I had one guy who I unmatched because he was being really inappropriate, who then found me on Instagram to message me and have a go at me and tell me how childish I was for unmatching him. I was like, this is so fucking bizarre. I've never experienced anything as 
wild is this? Um, and then I had another guy who I met up with who I'd said, I'm not looking for hookups. Like, I just want to get to know someone. If you want to catch up, you're welcome to come and hang. It was like four o'clock in the afternoon um, this one day that he came over to my house. Um, I thought, we'll hang out for a little bit. And then I had to head off because I had stuff on. And he tried it on with me and I was like, no, like I've said that I don't really want anything to happen. Um, I really would just rather like spend some time, get to know you. And anyway, he was like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Sorry. Yeah, like probably overstepped the mark. And as I turned away from him, he smacked my ass so fucking hard that I felt the pain through my entire body. I was in, like, I literally felt it in my stomach and it ricocheted into, like, my chest. He hit me that hard. And I remember turning around and actually, like, dropping down because I was in so much pain. And then I burst into tears. <laughs> and I was so fucking ashamed of myself for so long. I didn't even, I went to my friend's house that I'd planned to after that. And I don't even think I told her straight away because I was so fucking humiliated. And I was so ashamed of myself because I'm like, I invited this guy into my home and now I feel violated, but it's my fault because I invited him into my home. It's not my fault. If someone has said I'm not interested or I'm not ready or I'm not willing to go to these extents, the answer is fucking no. I had a bruise on my ass after that. I actually had a massive handprint bruise on my ass. And after that, I was like, fuck this bullshit. And I felt so ashamed. Like I was just so ashamed of myself that like all I was looking for was like my happy ending, my love story, whatever. Um, and that I just got to that point where I felt so ashamed of myself for being on there. And then I felt ashamed of myself that people had information about me that I otherwise wouldn't have shared. And then I was talking to one guy on there at the time and I messaged him and said, hey, like I'm actually going to delete my Tinder, but if you do want to keep in touch, here's my number. And so anyway, I was honestly so fucked up from this thing that happened with this guy. And like, I'm not a process. Like I'm on a fucking podcast here. Happy to talk about everything. Talk about sex. Talk about what I'm into. Like I don't give a fuck. I love getting spanked but being comfortable with somebody enough that I can have those communications around the things that I'm into and the things that I'm not and have respect in the bedroom. I think what a lot of people don't understand about spanking is that um, for it to be pleasurable really is about the communication between partners. There's levels of spanking as well um, and it can go into like paddles and whips but again it comes down to um, what you're comfortable with and what you're communicating with your partner. The idea behind spanking or spanking for stimulation um, is that it's it's the hover between pleasure and pain and it's the the rush of blood um to that surface of your body as well. Um, but with spanking, especially for women, there's actually uh, nerve roots that run from the buttocks to the pelvic floor. And so that's often what's activated when you get spanked, which can add to your to the sexual experience with your partner. But hitting someone, like smacking somebody that hard, you know, when you haven't even asked somebody what they're into and then just smacking somebody as hard as you fucking can is not sexually attractive. It's not pleasurable it's fucking painful and if you're not expecting it either like no one wants that so fyi don't do that we don't like it so i ended up not talking to anyone uh and i didn't talk to anybody and even this guy that was messaging me i kind of like pulled away from that because i was just so like i was just so afraid i was so afraid of being hurt again that i didn't want to talk to anybody i didn't want to open myself up at all and then it got to the end of january this year 2020 and like this guy had started snapping me again and 
and we got chatting and it was just really easy and there's always like heaps of banter and it was really fun and he seemed like a really cool guy and he was into like playing the guitar and surfing and skateboarding and it just seemed like you know he was this really like cool person and I was like oh you know what like maybe I'm ready like I'll give it a go and even my sister said to me Karen I've never known you to be like this about anybody it sounds so fucking crazy like when I start talking about it I'm like like honestly it sounds fucked but I think there were two sides to it where I felt like I was really wanting hopeless romantic idea of meeting my soulmate one and two he was just the most charismatic person that I'd ever met and when I met him he came down to meet me at the gym I was setting up the studio and he came down to meet me there and obviously we talked backwards and forwards for like what five five months or something September October November December four months we've been talking for like four months before that just backwards and forwards just bits and pieces and and then he got out of the car he smiled and I was like oh my fucking god and I just melted and I knew in that moment I was like oh my god like this is either going to be the best thing or the worst thing that ever happens to me. <laughs> and while I entered into what I would call a situationship with this guy, one minute I would feel as though he was my best friend and that he was going to be in my life forever. And then other times I felt like I was losing my sanity <laughs> and I'm still honestly not really sure what happened. But over that time that I was um, in this thing, we were backwards and forwards for about eight months. And I honestly began to just think that I don't know how to love people. Like I convinced myself in that time that I'm just not good at loving anyone. And then my friend one day said to me, Gezi, you are good at loving people because look how you love, look how you love your friends. And look how much your friends love you. It's just not the right person. And I just struggled so much to accept that because every time I was with him, I felt like I had never connected with somebody in that same way before. And we had so much in common and we laughed so much and we had really amazing sex. And like every time he stayed, I, I couldn't sleep because I just, we'd have this amazing time. And then immediately afterwards, it would just shift and I would feel this like draw away of energy. And I'm very intuitive and I feel energies. And so I was in this up and down, up and down, like elation, anxiety, depression, elation, anxiety, depression cycle for eight months. Um, going backwards and forwards and while he may not realize how much it was actually affecting me in that way um, that's what the roller coaster that I was on and I felt like I couldn't get off and every time I tried to get off we'd somehow end up back in each other's lives again um, and eventually I got to a point where I was like I am losing myself like I have lost myself in trying to understand how to love this person and I wanted to be with him so much and I wanted to make it work so much because when I was with him, like, I felt like I didn't want to be with anybody else. And then as soon as we weren't together, I missed him and I wanted him to be back around again. But for him, you know, he was very much about his life and not wanting a relationship and not wanting a commitment. Um, and as much as I tried to respect that, it just felt like there were times where 
you know, it was like he was opening up to me and like asking me to like do things with him or like go camping or whatever, but then would take those things back almost immediately as soon as he realized that that was actually making a commitment. And like, I don't know the other side of it because I have no closure in this situation and I don't actually know what really happened. But I, yeah, I found myself really, really confused. And and eventually um, I said to him, if I was to be completely honest, I wanted something that was stable for me. Um, and I need that. I have got anxiety and I'm working on trying to reduce that, but I have got anxiety. And so the instability of that relationship for me was really causing me a lot of distress. And he said, you know, as much as I love hanging out with you, um, I can't give you anything stable. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, cool. As much as it hurts, like, okay, you can't give that to me and I'm not going to force you to do that. So I pulled away um, and about three weeks later, um, I got a message from him saying that he wanted to give us a go. And I was like, okay, like, this sounds really genuine. Like he said he wanted to drop his walls and he was ready to open up to me and he missed me and all this, all the, these other things. And I, I really wanted to believe it. And so I went, I went and met up with him and, you know, again, like we just had this amazing, like I, what I felt anyway, was this amazing time. Like we hang out, I know his, you know, I've met his family and would hang out with his family, his parents um, and his friends. And we had this awesome, awesome day together and like a really good night together. Um, um, and I was like, wow, like this is, this just feels like so good and so, so perfect. But by the Thursday night, I felt him pull away from me again. And, and I know that everyone has shit going on in their lives, but I've already explained myself a million times, like what makes me triggered and what I struggle with. And that is inconsistency and instability. And it went from offering me this opening in his life um, to then pulling away again. Um, and I felt it. And I was like, you know, if you've changed your mind, can you just please let me know? And um, and I just didn't hear from him for three days. And so in the end, I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And I messaged and said that I, you know, wasn't sure if being in a relationship was going to be the best thing for us. And I didn't want to put that pressure on him if he just wasn't ready. And he, maybe he'd realized that he wasn't ready. So basically the message that I got back said he wanted to be, be able to get home from work and not have to think about somebody else. And then he wanted to be able to have his weekends where he didn't have to think about anybody else. And that was, um, after eight months of backwards and forwards and then finally feeling like I made progress or like got somewhere with this relationship and then it just was pulled out from underneath me in four days and I I literally hit rock bottom and I, like my self-esteem took such a hit that I stayed in bed for four days because I just felt like how am I worth so little to somebody that has spent time getting to know me um, and I could be worth so little to just be like I can't be fucked and I just for everything that I had felt for this person I was like I cannot believe that 
this is like how it's how it is um i just can't be fucked to like think about someone else like so like nothing matters and i was just listening to a podcast today i was listening to girls gotta eat which is my favorite podcast um and i was listening to them today and it just like finally sort of like clicked for me that we have and probably will have many relationships throughout our lives and most of them will teach us something and I think that if anything, this has taught me is that I knew from the beginning that investing in this relationship wasn't going to necessarily give me what I needed. And what I really, really, really needed was to actually focus on myself um, and to go in inwards into myself to actually heal the things. Like, why am I staying? Like, why am I putting up with this? Why am I going out of my way or going the extra mile when this person just clearly doesn't value me or doesn't love me the same way? Like, why do I keep putting my, my heart on the line every single time? Um, what is it? Like, what's missing for me? And I think a lot of it was that it's just, again, wanting this validation that, you know, even for someone who has commitment phobias that they would drop those commitment phobias for me and that then would make me feel like I was good enough and that I was worthy and reality is that no one can make you feel like you're worthy nothing external of yourself can actually make you feel like you are worthy or that you're good enough and I feel as though now I've got to that point where I can actually take that weight off of my shoulders that I know that I'm good enough but what I've taken away from this relationship is that I don't need to prove myself to anybody and if somebody doesn't want to be in my life that I don't need to keep entertaining it or trying to make it work everything has its its time and as much as you can try and make something work the same way in my relationship with my ex someone has to get off of the roller coaster at some point and and as much as I could have monkey branched into another relationship and found a band-aid to fix how fucking broken I felt I decided that it wasn't the best thing for me and for the first time in my life for the first time this is the first time in my life um since I was 14 have I ever not had anyone not had a guy in my life and I'm like if I feel so numb inside how the fuck am I supposed to love another person or even let that person into my life or allow myself to be a part of their life if I am that numb inside like there's clearly work that I need to do on myself um, before I can move into another relationship and I feel as though so many people just put a band-aid on the last one or they um, monkey branch into the next relationship or they rebound into the next thing and it always seems better than the last thing because the last thing hurt you so much and this next thing feels so good um, and then you just miss you miss so many things about that person that you might um, actually not really desire in a partner and so, yeah, I went through, uh, where are we now? We're in September. Who fucking knows? It's like Monday the 39th of fucking Jungist. Where are we now? No, September 2020. I feel like I'm more in touch with myself now than I ever have been. And I would never have been able to do that if I hadn't have gone through the last year that I've gone through. I really didn't understand that I sought so much validation from men in my life. 
And I think that I've just only ever wanted to have somebody love me. It's like I'm looking for my, like, looking for my dad. Like, I sound so fucked up. Um, but I think I do, I think I probably have had daddy issues because I just want my dad to tell me that he's fucking proud of me, you know? Um, I've done all these things in this time, like, even after, like, my marriage separated, like, I remember telling my dad that, like, my marriage had broken down. Um, And I just never really got, like, anything. Like, I never, like, none of my family ever really said anything about it. Like, no one ever really um, talked to me about what was going on or, like, if I was okay. It was, like, I just, again, felt like this black sheep. And then I decided to look for validation through guys and that I was good enough to be loved and um, that I had made the right decision. And I think I was looking for like a, a, a fairy tale ending so that I could be like, see, like I fucking, this is why, like if I hadn't done this, like then I wouldn't have this good thing right now. And so I was trying to still look for something externally from myself. Um, so for the first time in my life, I am choosing myself and it's a really fucking awesome feeling. And it's not a 60 days and 60 nights thing. Um, It's a genuine wanting to heal my heart and heal a lot of my past relationships and the things that have hurt me and the things that I've done that have hurt other people and just wanting to be able to let some of those things go and move into a space where I feel as though I am ready to actually do life on my own or with someone else, but happily do it on my own. So that's where I'm at today. Um, My name is Karen Taylor and I am a businesswoman. I own KSS Personal Training and I have a beautiful studio and I'm running a podcast called All Things Taboo and I love my life now more than ever with my beautiful dog Bender and I'm so thankful for every one of my friends who has been on this journey with me and I can't thank you enough for your love and your support and your complete non-judgmental approach to everything that I've gone through in the last two years and while people think that I may not have anyone supporting me I have had the best friends in this last two years that have not faltered in a single way um, and have just listened to me when I've needed them have let me cry until I have no tears left and I can't I really can't put into words how thankful I am for my friends and on the last note that I will leave you on is that I remember uh, reading Brene Brown's book which talks about um, shame and when we are going when we are going through something that feels shameful if you're sharing it with everyone there's obviously going to be people who are going to judge you and you're going to feel even more judged and you're going to feel even more shame. And she talks about closing in your circle and being able to have your select few people that you can talk to about your shame and that you know are going to not judge you and are not going to put you in a box and are not going to make you feel worse about yourself. And that's what I've done in the last couple of years. I just realized once I pulled it in and I actually shared my shame with my closest people and I didn't have other people coming in judgmentally from the outside, um, I found that I actually was able to heal so much better because I didn't have a million people with bits and pieces of information about me. Um, I had my five friends who knew exactly who I was and exactly where I wanted to be and they supported me and 
pushed me through the darkest times that I've gone through to be able to be where I am right now. And so thank you. And thank you to all of you who have tuned into this episode. Thank you so much. Please tune into the next episode. It's released on the 21st of September. And I have my friend Paige Mills, aka Biker Biddy. And I hope you guys tune in. Thanks again for listening. Finding my heart by tasting safe time.